We're looking this morning at the book of Luke, Luke chapter number 10, Luke chapter 10. And I want to talk to you today about something I think is appropriate. Of course, I prayed about this, but something I think is so appropriate, especially for this time, and that's distraction. Now, we've, I love how Pastor Jacob has tried this morning to aim our hearts towards Jesus the the songs were great everything's been great but how many of you just while you're sitting there have found yourself your mind wandering off all over the place uh, i mean my mind's been all over the place this morning you know we go to sub-saharan africa then i'm thinking how many of the places in africa can i name and my, my mind's all over the place uh, my wife says i don't have add she says i got all the letters so how many how many of y'all uh just honestly this morning have we as we've been here you just found yourself distracted already your mind's all over the place distraction it doesn't seem like a big deal. It's not a sin, right? It's not one of the bad things. Distraction doesn't seem like a big deal until we take the time to examine what it is that our minds are being diverted from. Distraction really is anything that prevents us from giving our full attention to the main thing. And in life, there really is only one main thing. In fact, the Westminster Shorter Catechism asks the question, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. But I, wanna, I want you to think this morning, how can we really fully glorify and enjoy a God that we don't know? The answer is we can't. The main thing in life is not just to be known by God. The main thing in life is to know God. And the only way to know God is to allow Him to reveal Himself through time in His Word. Really, when I say that we have to have God reveal Himself, God has done this. He continues to do this through His Word. But Satan delights in nothing more than running interference against God. Satan delights in distracting God's people. And I think one of the most effective weapons the devil has in his arsenal is simple distraction. Uh, we get so occupied with so many other things and even good things that we don't have any time for the main thing. Distraction is effective because it seems innocent. It even seems honorable. But, you know, if someone asks you, how are you doing? The first thing that comes out of your mouth is busy, right? But when did that become a good thing? We use many good things, or Satan uses many good things, to divert our attention from the main thing. And that's because if Satan cannot destroy us, he will be so satisfied to distract us. Satan delights in nothing more than if you never see Jesus for who he is. I mean, Satan will even be happy if he can't take your soul from Christ. Satan will be even happy if he can take your delight from Christ. Satan will be happy if he, can just, if he can't get your soul. He'll be so happy just to get your attention. Satan's just sly enough to use good things, even necessary things, to keep us from the best things. We're looking this morning at two women, two women who both love Jesus... It's a, an account in the Scripture you've heard over and over. And I don't like to say a story in the Bible because this isn't just something that was made up. It's an event that actually happened. So this account we're looking at, you see two women. They're two sisters. Both of them love Jesus. Both of them believe in Jesus. But one is serving while the other is sitting. And contrary to what we would assume, Jesus commends not the one that's serving. Jesus commends the one that's sitting. Luke chapter 10, we're going to start our reading in verse 38. Now it happened, as they went, that he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. 
But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. Now, I'm aware that as a preacher, as a pastor, I'm supposed to encourage you to be busy in the work of the Lord. But I'm not going to do that this morning. In fact, I'm going to do the opposite, and I'm going to encourage you to slow down and sit still. I know, and I really do get this, I know that sitting still is, is hard, if not impossible, for some people. You know, I can watch about 10 minutes of a show, then I've got, got to get back up. There is too much to be done for me to be sitting still, right? I want to be moving right up until the time I go to bed. Sitting still is, it's, and I don't just mean that figuratively, sitting still is difficult for me, and it might be for you. But however difficult or, or not, there is no substitute, not just for sitting still, but for sitting still in the presence of God and letting God speak to you individually. In our text, Martha was distracted, so you find she ends up discouraged. Whereas Mary was disciplined, and you find Mary ended up delighted. Both women loved Jesus. It's not that one was a believer and the other wasn't. The issue here in this text is that one placed a higher value on work and the other placed a higher value on worship. When I, when I say that, that really reveals something about the way we see God. Do you put more priority in your life on working for God or being with God? Because if, if you put more priority, if you put more time into working for God than you do being with God, what that goes to show is that you think somehow God needs you to carry out His plan in the world. But if you spend more time in worship at the feet of God, what, what that shows you is that not do you think God needs you, it shows you that you really do know you need God. May I say to you, until we learn to see it, until we learn to see it, we will never be fit to serve. Being with Jesus is more important than anything else we do in life, and that includes working for Jesus. Again, the, the story goes like this, verse 38. It happened as they were going along, Jesus and his disciples, they entered a certain village. They've come to the village of Bethany, it's just a couple miles east of Jerusalem. John tells us that this is six days before the Passover, Lazarus is there, the, the one who had been dead, that's a pretty big deal, right? Lazarus, the guy who used to be dead, was there. The one who'd been raised from the dead. And a certain woman, verse 38, who happens to be Lazarus' sister, a certain woman named Martha, welcomed Jesus into her house. Martha is the hostess. She welcomed Jesus. She welcomes everyone that's traveling with him. And in verse 11, or John chapter 11 and verse 2, the scripture says that they made him a supper there. And Martha served at this supper. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Now think about this. Jesus is traveling. He has his 12 disciples. If it's just Jesus, his 12 disciples, and, and, and Lazarus, then, then that's 14 people. Serving 14 grown men is, is no small task, right? Making a meal for 14 grown men is no small task. So here, Martha invites Jesus in. And, and probably, the way we know Jesus' ministry went, there are many more people with Jesus than, than just these 13 Martha invites her in, invites him in, and, and makes a supper. And, and I want you to get this picture in your mind. Martha has invited Jesus in, and then she gets busy. There is so much to be done. Notice this. It was so odd. Martha had the bread of life in her dining room, and she gave all her energy to making a meal in the kitchen. 
It's, it's so interesting. Literally, she invited Jesus in and then forgot he was there. Is that not just a, a reflection of our own lives as believers? She invited Jesus in and then she got to work on his behalf and completely forgot that he was even in the house. But she had a, a sister called Mary, verse 39, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Here Mary, Martha's busy, but Mary is sitting there. She's listening to Jesus. Notice she's not just there. She's actually present. It's not just as if Jesus is talking. It's not like church on Sunday morning where somebody's up front talking and you're kind of, you know, out somewhere else. No, she's actually listening to what this guy has to say. Today she would probably be tempted by all the gadgets, but, but even then, you know there were distractions present. Now, I know I'm, I'm kind of getting away from the text, but just knowing the disciples the way I do, think about this. Jesus is sitting there teaching, and don't you think Peter's somewhere whispering in the background? Right? Inserting his commentary. Thomas is back there wringing his hands, thinking, I just don't know if she's going to be able to feed all of us. I don't know if she can afford it. Right? James and John, the sons of Debedee, are, are elbowing each other to see which one gets to sit close to Jesus. I don't know exactly what happened in that room, but there were definitely distractions there available for Mary if she let him get her attention. Yet Mary's sitting there, and she's not just sitting there in Jesus' presence. She's actually listening. She's hanging on every word that Jesus has to say. It's interesting when you look at Mary here, really Mary was out of place, yet at the same time Mary was in the perfect place. As a woman in this culture, her place was in the kitchen, not the dining room. She would have cultural expectations on her to, to be up serving, to be preparing a meal, to be serving the men. In fact, Martha is just living up to the cultural expectations. But Mary, on the other hand, she seems so out of place, yet she's in the perfect place. There's, a, there's just something to learn there from Martha and Mary. Martha is meeting the cultural expectations. Mary is out of place, yet she's in the perfect place. The reality is, if you're going to sit at the feet of Jesus, it's going to put you out of place with the culture, but you'll be where you need to be. She's sitting there, she's listening. While Martha is, is on her feet, Mary is at Jesus' feet. And if we were to stop right here, and if we were to ask, which one of these two are more spiritual? Which one of these two really had it together? Can we be honest if we stopped right here and said, which one was more spiritual? Many of us, if we didn't know the way the rest of the story goes, many of us would say Martha because she's busy. She's in her place doing her job. Martha is the one that's more spiritual. But verse 40 says, but Martha, so Mary is at the feet of Jesus, listening to his word. Verse 40 says, though, but Martha was distracted with much serving. Obviously, Martha is distracted from something specific. What's she distracted from? She's distracted from Jesus in the room. Martha's distracted. Literally, the Greek word, she's being pulled away. She's being dragged in all these different directions. She has to make sure the meal isn't burning. She has to make, make sure everybody's cup is full. Everybody's having a good time. She is literally pulled in all these different directions. And what's interesting is Martha's distraction. She's not distracted by sin. She's distracted by service. It's not something bad that has hold of Martha. It's something that she perceived to be good. She was so intent on making sure their needs were met that she did not have time to allow Jesus to meet her needs. She was busy serving the king. But let me ask you something. Was that even a good thing? If someone asks you, how are you doing? How likely are you to say, busy? Right? That's a badge of honor. I'm so busy. 
But even if you're busy with godly things, do you realize that does not necessarily mean that God's pleased? God is not in all of all that you or all that me. God is not in all at all we're getting done. Think about this. In seven days, God spoke the world into existence. Ex nihilo. Literally, he brought everything out of nothing in seven days. Do you think that God is really all that impressed by what we can get done? He spoke the universe into existence. And really, if he'd have wanted to do it, he could have done it all in a moment. It didn't necessarily take him seven days. It wasn't like he had to work seven days to get it done. In a moment, God could have spoken everything into existence. And we think somehow that we're really impressing God by all we're getting done, all the boxes we're checking off. The reality is, all we accomplish doesn't impress God. God is not impressed with independence. God is impressed with dependence. God's not impressed by all you can get done for him. God's impressed by somebody that sits at his feet and says, I need you to do something for me. Her busyness, you'll notice this, Martha's busyness in the kingdom actually led to, it seems contrary, but it led to a resentment of the king. Martha actually felt that she's being taken advantage of, but notice this, no one asked Martha. No one told Martha to do this. Martha volunteered. How often do you volunteer and then as soon as it comes out of your mouth, you think, why did I just do that? <laughs> you volunteer to do something you th- and as soon as you say, you think, I don't have time for that. Here, Martha has volunteered to make this meal. Nobody's told Martha to do this. Jesus hasn't asked Martha to do this. In fact, verse 38 says, Martha welcomed him into her house. Martha is the one that instigated all this. It was her house. The meal was her choice. And he or she is prevented from being with Jesus by the noble things. Get this. She's prevented from being with Jesus by the noble things she's committed herself to that Jesus had not commended her to. She is preoccupied with the things she has committed herself to that Jesus never commanded her to do. How many unnecessary commitments distract you from your most important commitment? Martha assumed that because she was committed to this project, this is always so dangerous, she assumed that because she's committed to this project, that Jesus must have been committed to it too. And don't we do that? We think, well, if my heart's in this, God's heart must be in it. Her misunderstanding, though, about what Jesus valued actually led led her to question Jesus' care for her. Notice in verse 40, she comes to Jesus. Now, this is always funny in the Scripture when somebody comes to Jesus and they give Him a piece of their mind. Right? They give him a piece of their mind. They give to the God who gave them their mind a piece of that mind in return. She comes to Jesus, verse 40, and she approached him and she said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me alone to serve? Martha, indirectly here, she's being passive aggressive, if you will. She accuses Jesus of not caring, not just about what she cared about. She is accusing Jesus of not caring about her. Look, Jesus, I'm so busy. I'm trying to get something done for you and for the kingdom, and she's not helping me. Don't you care about me? What she's exposing, though, here, she thinks that she's exposing that Jesus doesn't care about her, but in reality, she's exposing that she doesn't care about Jesus. Basically, Martha made the fatal mistake of viewing her relationship with Christ as one of employment rather than one of enjoyment. She viewed Jesus as only someone to be served, not someone to be savored. 
Her failure to savor, her failure to enjoy Jesus before serving Jesus led to a distrust and even a suspicion towards Christ. Don't you even care about me? When you get busy for God, when I get busy for God, without having communion with God, it will lead to a distrust in God. And we'll start saying, does God really care about me? Look at all that I'm getting done and where's He at? Notice her suspicion of his inconsistency is based on the assumption that she's doing the right thing. She's busy, so how, she, how could she be wrong? She thought, she was so convinced, Martha was so convinced that, that God wanted commotion. But what God actually wanted was communion. In fact, Jesus cared more about her than she cared about herself. She's just far too busy to take time to see it. Her wrong attitude led to these wrong actions. So in her own heart, she's thinking, why isn't Jesus rebuking her? Why isn't Jesus making her help me? Doesn't he care about me? And because she's having that, that attitude in her heart, it leads to the wrong actions. And she actually says this to Jesus. And she says in verse 40, don't you care about me? She's left me alone to serve. Jesus, tell her to get up and help me. Now, you probably feel like saying that to some other people in the church. All right, you want to tell God to tell some other people in the church it's time for them to get up and help me. That's what Martha does here. She thinks that she can instruct God, but she has no time to stop and be instructed by God. Martha's heart said, look at her, she's so full of herself. Mary is just so full of herself, and she is out of place. She's at Jesus' feet. She should be in here helping me. She should be in her spot. She might have looked at Mary and said she's so full of herself. In reality, though, Mary was empty of herself and full of Him. And maybe, maybe that's what was really so offensive to Martha. When you see Martha and Mary in Scripture, there's always this contrast. The two can say almost the same thing, but say it with a completely different heart. And I'm sure probably from Martha's perspective, there was some jealousy when she looked at Mary and she saw Mary's relationship with Jesus. There was probably some jealousy in, in, in Martha's heart. And she's thinking, well, I could have that too if I didn't have all this to do. Or I could have that if she would help me. In Mary's spiritual success, she couldn't help but see her own spiritual defeat. And instead of addressing Martha, it was right easier to criticize Mary. So she, she looks at Jesus and she says, tell her, her to get up and help me. She's so passionate about her opinions. Notice this. She is so passionate about her opinions that she interrupted God to insert her demands. Verse 40. Jesus is teaching, right? Because we already know that because Mary's listening to every word he said. Jesus is teaching and Martha bursts into the room and approaches Jesus and taps him on the shoulder and says, Don't you care about me? Tell her to get up and help. Notice she approaches God not to hear but to speak. It's worth considering how much of our devotional life is given to speaking rather than listening. How much of your prayer life is given to telling God what you want, what you need, what you think you deserve over allowing God to speak to you about what He wants for you, what you really need? Martha's not bothered that she couldn't be at His feet. Rather, she's concerned that she has to work alone. Her priorities are all wrong here. She was concerned about what she perceived to be fair than, rather than what Jesus perceived to be necessary. Verse 41. Now, I'm sure, again, you know how Peter would often speak, and as soon as he spoke, he thought that Jesus was going to pat him on the back, and instead Jesus would turn around and say something like, get me behind me, you devil. Right? I expect Martha, she probably thinks Jesus is going to say, Mary, go help your sister. Verse 42, though, verse 41, Jesus answered, and he said, Martha, Martha, 
you're worried and you're troubled about so many things. Jesus here, he shows tender concern for what concerns Martha. You can hear the compassion in his voice. Jesus doesn't mock Martha. Jesus doesn't say, Martha, you don't get it. And he, he really could have. But instead of, instead of calling her out in front of everybody, instead of making a, a spectacle of her, Jesus shows mercy and he says, oh, Martha. The compassion in his voice, it really can almost be heard ringing, echoing from the pages. Oh, Martha, you're worried about so many unnecessary things. Jesus showed tender concern for what concerned Martha, yet rather than agreeing with her, he showed her the better way. When Jesus said, you're troubled and concerned about many things, she may have expected commendation, but what she got from God was correction. Verse 42, you're concerned, Martha, about so many things, so many unnecessary things. But one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. Martha, you are so distracted. Martha, you are so distracted by so many things, but there is really only one thing that's necessary. Martha, you have chosen the many things. You're in the kitchen. You're baking the bread. You're making sure the glasses are topped off. You're making sure everyone's comfortable. What you're doing seems good. What you're doing seems noble. You're so busy, Martha, and you're so distracted, pulled in so many different directions by so many different things. But Martha, there's only one thing that really matters in this moment. You've chosen the many things, but Mary's chosen the one thing. And Martha, it's your sister that made the right choice. The bread Mary chose to invest in would continue to be fresh. It would continue to be satisfying and sustaining. It would be a source of strength for her for the rest of her life. But the bread that Martha was baking would be stale and even gone by morning. Jesus wanted Martha to understand that being with Him was more important than being for Him. How do you think Martha reacted? The text doesn't tell us. We don't know exactly what happened next. The only sensible response from Martha would have been to stop what she was doing and sit down right then and listen. Now, how should this affect us? Well, what does it mean for us? Whenever we open the Word of God, it doesn't matter whether I'm speaking, whether Pastor Jacob's speaking, whoever's standing here, whenever we open the Word of God, literally God spoke. And when we come to the end, now we have God has spoken to every one of us and now when we come to the end, how do we respond to what God said? The only reasonable response to this revelation from God is to stop talking so much and start listening. The only, only reasonable response to this text is to stop working and start worshiping. The only reasonable response is to get off of our feet and to make time to sit at His. Now, I know, I without doubt know there's somebody sitting there and you're thinking, but you don't know how busy I am. You don't know all I have to get done. You might be thinking to yourself, you don't know my schedule. And can I say to you this? You're right, I don't. But can I tell you this? A moment at Jesus' feet will accomplish more than a lifetime on yours. I think it's important to recognize here, Mary didn't despise work. It's not that Mary thought that she didn't have to work. That's not it. Mary didn't despise work. She just prioritized worship. 
And some people might be sitting there, so you've got the one group saying, I don't have time. I already have to get up so early to be at work, and, and, and I've got the kids to take care of, or the grandkids to take care of, and, and my job is so demanding, and on and on and on and on. All the excuses, you've got the one side that makes all the excuses, then you've got the other side who, who are saying, well, so if you preach like this preacher, if you say things like this, then those people who aren't doing anything anyway are going to do even less. And how do you do less than nothing? <laughs> So you got those two, two things battling with each other. Some may say this logic gives people an excuse not to take responsibility, not to do what we're commanded to do. And, and certainly the Scripture gives us clear responsibilities of what we are to be doing as Christians. So how, how do you reconcile this? Some may say this logic gives people an excuse not to take responsibility and do what we're commanded, but I want to show you that's false for this reason. Time with Him will always result in action for Him. You won't spend time with Jesus and be less active in His kingdom when you finish. For Mary, hearing the Word actually resulted in worship. And her worship was not just something where she bowed at His feet and put her hands on the ground. Her worship was a lifestyle that overflowed with glory, uh, glory to God. Her life overflowed with the presence of God. Can I tell you something? We all go through these phases in life. We go through these seasons. I find this in my own ministry, in my own preaching. When I am really in the Word, not just to find something to preach, but to, to hear the voice of God for myself, when I'm listening to the voice of God deep in the Word, trying to, trying to know God better, my preaching is so much better. But when I give my time to studying to preach, my preaching is dead. And I tell you, you'll, you'll find this discovery, this discovery too in life. When you spend time with Him, He will do all the work necessary through you. It's like you're not even doing it. You're just like a sailboat and He's the wind carrying you along. But when you're trying to do the work of God in your own strength, having not been with Him in time and prayer and in the Word, it's like rowing against the wind in a little dinghy that you can't make move. You see, time with Him results in action for Him. And time with Him will make Him bubble out of you where you don't even have to work all that hard. He just does His work through you everywhere you go. I have no hesitation in encouraging you to spend time at His feet rather than on your feet. Because if you spend time at His feet, time on your feet will naturally follow. If you, uh, we got this, our little baby, our little baby boy. I can't help but talk about him. I love him. Right? I just enjoy being with him. And, and, and ask me, do I have some pictures on my phone? I will show you some pictures. <laughs> the more time I spend with him, you know what? The more I just want to talk about him. It's the same with God. The more time you spend with him, the more it will just become natural. That everywhere you go, you're not trying to work it up. You're not even just looking for an opportunity here and there. The more you just spend time with him and you see how lovely and how wonderful and how merciful and how faithful he is, the more you just spend time with him, then everywhere you go, it just kind of bubbles out everywhere. You see, worship cultivates and enables fruitful Obedience. Martha had good intentions. Martha wasn't opposed to being at Jesus' feet. The problem is for Martha, it just wasn't a priority for her. Let me tell you something. You will never spend time with God by accident. If you do not get up and make time first thing in the morning, it will not happen. If you think, okay, I'll do it at midday or I'll do it at dinner or I'll do it at evening, you know and I know that everything else will crowd that out. If you do not intentionally make time for God, you will have no time with God. 
Martha, it wasn't that she was against being at his feet. It just wasn't priority for her. She valued the temporary more than the permanent. What she was doing was good. One could even argue it was necessary. But the problem was it wasn't changing eternity and it certainly wasn't changing her. So one could ask, are we called to worship or are we called to work? And the answer is both, but always in the right order. Worship must precede work if work is to ever be fruitful. If Martha had prioritized time with Jesus, everything else would have been placed in the proper perspective. I do find this, and you probably find this to be true, when I do make sure I have time alone with Him, everything else gets done during the day. But when I don't prioritize time with Him, what happens is I bounce from thing to thing all day long because my mind has not been brought back into order under the the Lordship of Christ. When I spend time with Him first, though, can I tell you something? Everything else just seems to get done. And if it doesn't, so what? If Martha had prioritized time with Jesus, everything else would have been placed in proper perspective. The work would have gotten done even if Martha had not taken time to sit down and listen. And if it didn't, if they didn't get fed that evening, so what? Because man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Like Martha, how many of us are distracted and careful about many things and missing the main thing. Again, some are going to argue, I do not have time to be with God. Let me ask you something. Do you ever have time to watch television? Do you ever sleep? Do you have time to eat? Do you have time to shop? Do you have time for coffee? Do you have time for Facebook? To say, I just really do not have time. That is not the truth, if we're honest. The issue is not we do not have time. The issue is we do not take the time. We do not make the time. There are some here this morning that you are distracted, and you're distracted by good things. You're distracted by service. There are others that are distracted because you're actually sitting. The problem is you're just sitting at the wrong feet, worshiping the wrong God. Some people are busy and they're distracted because of that. Other people are actually sitting rather than serving. But the problem is they're sitting at the wrong feet. They're worshiping the wrong God. Their affection, their love is not towards Jesus. It's towards some other idol. There's probably a third group. You, maybe it's not serving or sitting. You're wasting your life scrolling. Just doing this through Facebook all day and reading none of it. Just scrolling through it. Some are distracted by service. Some are distracted by sitting, but sitting at the wrong feet. Others are scrolling their lives away. I know it may sound cliche, but I wonder what would happen if God's people put down our phones and picked up our Bibles. I wonder what would happen if we got off of our feet and back on our knees. Now, i say this before I close. How many of you feel like trash now? <laughs> See, the, the, the tendency is we hear this and we think, man, I failed again. So have I. This is the problem. This is the thing I want to encourage you to. I don't want you to leave here today thinking, man, I failed again. Because this is an area where we have to be reminded over and over and over. It's an area where we are going to fail. If you leave here saying, I'm going to do better, i tell you what will happen. You're going to say, I'm going to do better, and maybe you'll get up tomorrow and you'll do it maybe the next day. But, but eventually you'll get back in that same routine and you'll quit doing it. If you only look to yourself, if you look to the flesh to try to defeat the flesh, that's like trying to put a fire out with gas. The flesh cannot help you in this. So you say, well, then what do I do? I don't, want to leave, I don't want you to leave here discouraged. I want you to leave here encouraged because I want you to see that when you are unfaithful to Christ, Christ still remains faithful to you. 
He did not look at Martha and say, Martha, I love Mary more. No, Jesus loved Martha just as much as he loved Mary, and it was proven in the way he rebuked her. I don't want you to leave here today feeling terrible because you haven't succeeded. What I want you today is to realize, yes, I have not succeeded, but Jesus has. No, I have not been faithful to him, but he has been so faithful to me. And this is what will happen. As you look at him and as you set your eyes on him and you set your eyes on his faithfulness, there's an interesting thing that happens. The goodness of God leads us to repentance. As we look at Jesus and we just realize how faithful he's been to us, despite our unfaithfulness to him, you know what it'll do? It'll cause us to want to be faithful to him. If we just say, I'm going to do better, you might do better for a little bit. You might even do better for a month. But you won't succeed long term. If instead of looking to yourself like Martha was doing, if instead like Mary, you look to Jesus and say, look, I can't be faithful perfectly in any way, but I'm thankful that Jesus was perfect on my behalf. I'm looking to him. I'm thanking God for his faithfulness, even in my unfaithfulness. I tell you, I promise you, the more you look at his faithfulness, the more it'll make you want to be faithful to him. And the more you'll find yourself wanting to spend time with him in his word. So how do we respond as we close today? The response is we don't respond by looking inward. We respond by looking upward. I don't look inside to find the strength to have the right devotional life. I look to Christ to enable me just even to spend the time with Him. Focusing on the goodness of God will lead us to true and lasting repentance or repentance that doesn't need to be repented of. The goal of getting at His feet is not to say, it's not to check a box and say, I've been there today. The goal of sitting at Jesus' feet is to see Jesus' face. So I encourage you, turn your eyes from your unfaithfulness and set your gaze wholly on your faithful Savior, and I guarantee you spiritual success will follow. Will you pray with me? Father, I pray now that you'll take your word, and I pray that you'll use it to strengthen, to help uh, your people. Lord, we commit your word into your hands, and you do with it as you see fit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.